All right, well, welcome to week two of 40 Days of Community. During these 40 days, we're really looking at two things. Hold on. Before we start, I want to do what I did last, last uh, week. How many of you, everybody feeling okay? How many of you have been sick over the last couple of weeks? Anybody at all? This whole COVID thing is just like the spike has just gone off the chart. If you didn't get COVID for Christmas, congratulations. You probably got it for New Year's. If you missed New Year's and Christmas, I hope you're okay. Uh, maybe you've dodged a bullet. I want to pray for everybody who's sick. Heavenly Father, so many people are sick. So many people are, um, there, we've even got a few in the hospital. I pray that you will help them. Uh, to turn around, to heal, uh, to get completely better. Uh, for those who have had it, I pray that the f- you'll heal the fatigue, help them get the rest that they need and get completely well. And, um, Lord, I just pray that we will keep our trust in you, that you will protect us, you will protect everybody, that you'll eradicate this virus. But, Lord, we know that you're the only one who knows the future. So whatever we've got to deal with in 2022, we're just putting our trust, we're just going to continue to trust in you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as I was saying, during these 40 days of community, we're really doing two things. We're developing a deeper community within, through our small groups, through our relationships, and then we're, we're trying to reach out outside to the community around us with loving relationships. And the reason why I'm doing this is because God says we are better together. When we do this, you're not alone. You have a team. You have a family. You have... Hopefully your small group, you have friends who are going to do what God's called you to do together. Last week we talked about how we're created for five purposes, but those five purposes that God has created you for, you cannot fulfill those purposes on your own. Uh, We have to have other people in our life because we're wired for relationships. God says it's not good for man to live alone, to be alone. God hates loneliness, so he wants us to be in community with each other, and he wants us to reach the community around us. Now, you don't need a hundred friends, close friends, but you do need three, four, five, six people who are in your corner who are going to be with you through thick or thin, who you are going to be with through thick or thin. And um, the tragedy is most people don't even have one single close, intimate friend. They've got a lot of acquaintances. They've got a million Facebook friends or followers on Instagram. But they don't have anybody looking out for their spiritual growth who's, who's helping them, who's saying, you know, I'm going to be there no matter what happens in your life. So we're going to be looking at how to deepen our relationships. We're going to look at why do relationships go bad. We're going to be looking at how do we turn a bad relationship into a good relationship? How do we turn a good relationship into a great relationship in this series? Last week we looked at why do we need each other. If you missed last week's message or you weren't watching online, I encourage you to go back online Click watch messages or you can download it and listen to it because that message, why we need each other, is foundational for everything that we're going to look at over the next six weeks. Now today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to start at the end. Some of you love to do that. You want to know what is the end of the movie before I watch, invest two hours in the movie. You want to know, you know what, who really did it at the end of the book before you finish the book. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to go to the last purpose of your life, that you were made for a mission. That God wants you to share your love with other people. He wants you to share his love with other people, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with the people on your street. God wants you to share his love with those people who don't know Jesus Christ yet. 
Why does he want us to do that? Why does he want us to not just deepen our community, but to reach out into the community? Well, that's because God wants everybody in his family. He doesn't just want you in his family or me in his family. God, he wants everybody in his family. God has never met a person he doesn't love. God has never met a person who he didn't have a purpose and a plan for their life. He has never made a person that Jesus Christ didn't die for. Jesus Christ died for everyone. So God wants us to share the good news. But here's, here's a word of encouragement. You're not in this alone. You don't have to share the good news of God's love by yourself. God wants you to do it with other people. Look at this verse in Philippians. Philippians 1.27. This is a living Bible paraphrase. I love this, the way, the way this paraphrase puts it. It says, you are standing together side by side with one strong purpose to tell the good news. So I want you to circle standing together on your outline there, and I want you to circle telling the good news. That's what we're looking at today. How do we do this together? How do I share with my friends that God loves them? And how do I do it in partnership with other people? How do I do it together with my small group, for instance? Because we're to reach out together. Philippians 1.5 in the New Living Translation says, You have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. Circle the word partners. We're going to look at seven ways on your outline, if you'll open it up. We're going to look at seven ways that we can partner with other believers to help us reach our friends, to help us reach our coworkers, to help us reach even our family members, people that we care about with the good news. And I've just created a very simple acrostic seven seven steps or seven things that we can do around the word partner of how to partner to share God's love. But before we do that, we've got to make a choice. We have to make a choice that I'm going to be unselfish. I'm going to start caring, caring about more than just my own life. I'm going to care about other people's lives. I'm going to stop caring about just my own place in eternity, and I'm going to be willing to care about other people's place in eternity. Stop caring about just my purpose, to find my purpose for my life, and start caring about other people to help them find their purpose. For their life. I'm going to care enough to tell them about the good news. That's the choice. Will I choose to do the right thing? Will I choose to be loving? We said that this, this whole study, 40 Days of Community, really be called 40 Days of Love. In our small groups, we're, we're working through the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Will I choose to love and will I choose to follow what God wants? How do we reach out and show love to our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, the people that we care about, that we want so badly to know the love of God and the grace of God. Here's how we do it. We've got to, we've got to partner together. So for the first letter in partner, partnering to reach other people, starts with the P. If you've been in church a long time, you probably already guessed that one. We've got to start by praying together. We've got to pray together. You fill that in? Pray together? The first thing you do is you ask your small group to pray for your friends and your family members who haven't stepped across the line of faith yet, who haven't accepted God's free gift of eternal life yet. Who have, they're still considering the claims of Christ. They don't really know God in a personal way. And you say to your small group, you say to your friends that you're going to reach out with, hey, will you guys pray for my friend or my 
family member or my coworker, ask them to pray together. You see, you can't force anyone to love God. You can't force anyone to come to church and start a relationship with God. You can't force them, but you can pray for them. And prayer can do whatever God can do. Prayer can do whatever God can do. God can do a lot. Prayer can do a lot. Prayer can melt the hard hearts. Prayer can warm the cold hearts. Prayer can activate an apathetic heart. And prayer can change a stubborn heart. We've seen that happen here a lot, many times. Prayer can do whatever God can do. So people can reject your arguments. People can, they can refuse to listen to your logic. But they're powerless to your prayers. You can pray for your lost friends, your friends who don't know Jesus yet, and it goes straight to their heart. What are we supposed to pray about as a group? It's in Colossians 3, 4. Colossians 3, 4, the New Century Version says, Pray for us that God will give us the opportunity to tell people his message. So we pray for God to give us the opportunity to share with our friends, our loved ones, or people that we care about, about the good news about God. Now, you know what happens when you start praying for an opportunity to share? God answers the prayer. And the next thing you know, you start seeing opportunities everywhere. The truth is you already have opportunities to share, but we're so busy, we're so tuned out or tuned inward, we miss them. So when I start praying, when I start praying for my family, I start seeing the needs of my family. When I start praying for my friends, I start seeing the needs in the lives of my friends. When I start praying for my neighbors, I start seeing for the, the needs of the lives of, my, of my, my neighbors or my coworkers. Or one of the things it does is it changes our hearts, changes my heart when I start praying for other people. So here's the first action step in sharing the good news. Make a group prayer list. I want somebody in every group. I don't know. We have 13, 15, 20 different groups going. I want everybody and somebody in every group to pull out a paper or to open up their notes in their phone and say, we need us a list. I would like you guys to pray for my, and maybe it's your, maybe it's your son, maybe it's your um, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's a friend of yours or a family member. And let's get everybody writing down. If there's 12 of you in your group, we should have 12 people. Everybody have one person on this list. And for the next 40 days, let's commit to we're all going to pray for all of these people. I'm going to pray for you pray for one of mine. I'm going to pray for one of each of yours. Prayer makes me aware. When I start praying, it changes me. So I want everybody in your small group to start praying for each other because there's power in that. All right, I've got to rattle through these quick because we only have uh, five minutes on each one probably. This one's even going to be shorter. A stands for appeal, appeal to common interests. What do I mean by that? Well, before we can share the good news with anybody, we have to establish a relationship with them, a friendship with them. Before you can reach out to them, you've got to relate to them. If you're going to be effective, you have to have something that bonds you together, something that is common so that you can have a friendship, a relationship. Some people think that if you're going to tell people the good news, I guess what I'm saying is if you've got a bullhorn on the corner hollering, repent, 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 you're going not very effective and kind of annoying, isn't it? Okay, because because it doesn't. 
You're screaming at me so loud, but but your words, your actions don't match the words. Our job is not to condemn somebody into God's family. Our job is not to shout the information at them. You know what our job is? It's very simple. We have two jobs. Love people and pray for them. Love people and pray for them. Love them into the into the the family of God. And to do that, we have to find some common ground. We have to have some common experiences, interests, needs, common hurts. That's the second step of getting your group to reach out, is to make a list of the things that you have in common with the people in your group. So in my Friday night group, we meet with like eight or nine couples, and we meet um, and we do a whole meal on Friday night. So we meet from like 7 to 11. It's, it's a group. It's a long, you know. And, um, and all the guys, there's too many of us to sit around one table. So all the guys go to one table and all the girls go to another table. And we have no idea. They're loud in there. We don't know what they're talking about. But, but we're talking about everything that's going on in our life. And it's a great opportunity to say, well, what do you like to do? What do you like to do? And you get three or four guys. I know a, I know a small group who's done this. There's three guys in a, in a group. And they said, you know what? You like to golf. I like to golf. I mean, they love to golf. They, they, they golf every week for hours. They ought to be good at it by now. And, and, uh, but they're still practicing. And, and, and they get together, three guys, and they, and they say, you know, who could we, who else do we know that likes to golf? And they golf with a guy that doesn't even go here, that doesn't, that doesn't in their small group, that, that probably doesn't even know Jesus. And what happens is, I guess if, if, if you golf, for three or four hours every week with a group of guys, at some point when you're the when you're the other guy, you're going like, you guys all go to the same church. You you guys are all in the same small group. You guys are all you guys are all connected, and they feel like, hey man, I want to I want to meet some of your other friends. I want to come, and they build a relationship. You can everybody can do this. What what do we like to do, and who do we know that also likes to do these things? That's partnering together to appeal to a common interest. So you pray together, you appeal to common interest. R stands for we've got to reach out in love. We write that in there, reach out in love. Why? Because you have to have the right motive. We've been talking about how everything that we do has to be done in love. If you missed the first video lesson, because you're not in a group yet, um, we talked about how if I don't love, then nothing I say matters. If I, if, I don't love, if I don't learn how to love, then nothing I believe matters. Then nothing I know matters. Then nothing I do matters. And nothing I accomplish matters. Everything has to be done in love because you have to have the right motor, motive to reach out to your neighbors and friends. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. You know the old cliche, people don't care what you know unless they know how much you care. So everything we do is out of love. So why are we doing this? Why are we even talking about reaching out into our community? I mean, why don't we just focus on us? There's enough people in in the sphere, in the orbit of Seminole Community Church. Prior to the pandemic, we had about 1,000 people a month, 1,000 different people who would would attend SEC in a given month. I have no idea how many are are coming now or how many are watching. I know it's more than that, although sometimes it doesn't feel like it because, you know, so many people are engaging online. We're glad that you're engaging online. We want you to, to invite you to come come in person when you're ready, when, when you're good with that. I know that a lot of us are still distancing. That's okay. 
Well, why don't we just focus on making our church warmer and stronger among ourselves? Why in the world should we reach out into the community around our church? Why would we do that? There's three reasons. I don't have the, the blanks for you to fill in, but if you want to jot them down somewhere, you can find a place. The first reason is we have the greatest news in the world to share. If I had the cure for cancer, I'd tell everybody. If I had the, the cure for COVID, you know, I'd tell everybody that I could. But we've got something greater than that. It's the key to having a purpose in life and having eternal life. It's far more important. What is the good news anyway? It says we're supposed to share the good news. What is the good news? Let me give it to you in a, in a nutshell. I don't need a whole sermon to tell you what, what the good news is. I can, I can do it in a paragraph, and you should be able to also. The good news is this. You're not an accident. You're not an accident. You were made by God, and he made you and has a plan for your life. And you were made to last forever. But God wants you to be in his family, to be with him for all of eternity. And he wants you to get to know him while you're here on this earth. He knows everything there is about you. Think about that. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows everything about you. And he wants you to be in his family. He loves you. He sent Jesus... Jesus came to earth so that we could see, so that you could get to know what God is really like. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins so that everything you've ever done wrong could be completely wiped out, forgiven and forgotten. And he gives you a purpose for the present, and he gives you a home in heaven forever. That's the good news. You matter to God. You're not an accident. He has a plan and purpose for your life. Jesus came so you could see what God's really like. God wants you to get to know him. And he wants you to have eternal life with him. He wants you in his family. That's the good news. Now, where else am I going to hear that kind of news if I'm far from God? I mean, I hope they stumble upon us on, online. I hope Facebook helps us out and says, hey, you have a whole bunch of friends who are watching right now. Why don't you watch? Maybe you're engaging with us today because of that. We hope that one of our events will, will get you here on campus one time and you can go, wow, they weren't so bad or that, I, that was interesting or, you know, I, I like these people. I think we could come. Look what they're doing with all these kids. The best news in the world and everybody needs to hear it. So that's the first reason we focus on the community that's around us. The second reason is out of a heart of gratitude because of everything that God has done for us. If God never did anything else for us, we still owe him everything because he has forgiven us of our, of our sins and given us a purpose for living and a home in heaven. And he's helped us with so many problems in our life. So we owe him. Out of a, out of, I owe him everything out of a sense of gratitude I share. The third reason that we reach out is because the Bible says that God is love. Not that God loves, but that God is love. And when God comes into your life, he starts to change you and give you a love for other people. In fact, if you don't love anybody else, God says, and I'm not in your life. You don't have God in your life. You may think you do, but First John says, nope. If you, if you don't love others, you don't have God. First John says, God is love. And you can't have somebody as big as the creator of the universe come move his spirit into your heart, into your life, and how, have it change you and give you the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, etc. 
all of a sudden we stop becoming so selfish and we start loving more and more. And that's evidence of, of God being in our, in our heart and in our life. So we do it out of love. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Because we loved you, notice that's the motivation in reaching out, because we loved you, we were happy to share not only God's good news, but even our own lives. So God says, look, when you share with people who don't know me yet, I don't just want you to share the good news. This isn't an information transfer. He says, I want you to share your life with them. I don't want you to holler it through a bullhorn to everybody, walk, to strangers walking by. There's no model of that in the New Testament. He says, instead, I want you to build a relationship and do it out of love. And if you don't do both, it's not really love. So here's the action step for your small group to get, and, and really for all of us. The action step is to ask God to give you a love for people. In fact, one of the ways that you can help yourself to love people is to pray for them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down either on the bottom of your outline or right there above the R next to the A. Um, there's a little space there. Write down this question. How can I pray for you? Write that down. How can I pray for you? Those six words can change everything. Or you could even say it this way. The way I say it often is, do you mind if I pray for you? Do you mind if I pray for you? It's not offensive. I can't tell you all the people, hundreds probably, maybe a thousand, all the people I've asked, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? Not once have I had anybody say, no, 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 don't you dare pray for me. In fact, even an atheist will usually say, knock yourself out. You don't think it'll do any good. I had a guy say that one time to me. In the hospital, he's in bed. We don't know if he's going to make it. Hey, do you mind if I pray with you? If you think it'll do any good. I said, I think it'll do you a lot of good. I'm not saying you should say that. Because he looked at me like, man, you're serious. I said, I am serious. You're in a hospital bed. You mind if, what have you got to lose? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so you just say to somebody, hey, you say at the office, hey, what's going on in your life? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Is there anything I can ask God to help you about in life? Look, there's a lot of people out there. They might not have a relationship with God, but they don't, like, hate God. They don't go to church anywhere, but, but they're not anti-God. And when you say, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? Some people really appreciate that. And especially if you come back later and say, hey, I've been praying for your mom like I said I would. How's she doing? And you know, they're going to go, oh, you're not going to believe this. She's better. And we're like, yeah, no kidding. We, that's why I've been praying. You know, they're surprised. You know, now don't you act surprised. Really? I've never done this before. Yes. So you ask them, how can I pray for you? You know, and they're going to tell you about their teenager. Oh, you have teenagers? Well, I know where we're going to start. Isn't that the case in all your small groups? And we go around and pray, 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 pray. And I've got to tell you, I've been doing small groups a long time. Half our prayers are about our kids. Why? Because we love our kids. And when our kids start messing up or our kids have struggles or our kids get bullied or our kids lose jobs or our kids start having kids, we pray. So everybody in your life who has kids has a prayer request. I promise you. Hey, how can I pray for you? Anything I pray for you? If they go, no, I say, well, don't you have kids? 
Oh, yeah, you'll pray for them? Yo, well, let me just tell you. You know, <laughs> you got an hour? You know? So ask them, how can I pray for you? And then do it. Pray for them. And then follow up. I'm telling you, it will change your heart. And nobody turns that down. All right, I've got to keep going because I said I've only got five minutes on each. Fourth way that you can partner and let people know how great God's love is. T stands for tell your story. Tell your story. Now, I know for some of you introverts, man, you're like, oh, man, I, you know, I can't do this. Yes, you can. You don't have to do this alone. I'm going to tell you a minute. And some of you are like, ah, I've been wanting to tell everybody my story. First Peter 2, 9. This is the message paraphrase. I love this. This paraphrase is awesome. It says, you are God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others of the night and day difference. Circle the word difference that God has made for you. You've got to tell your story in the most effective way to let other people know the great things that God can do in their lives is to tell the story about the great things that God has done in your life. That's what makes a difference. The great thing about telling stories is you're an expert of your own, on your own story. There's one thing that all of us are world experts about. That's our story. Or what God's done in your life. And God's done many, many things. You might have to write it down. You might have to... It should be able to fit on a 3 by 5 card, by the way, because... People are interested in hearing your story. Almost everybody is interested in hearing your story. What they don't want to hear is your story. Okay? They want two minutes, three minutes of what God's done in your life, not two hours, three hours of what God's done in your life. You know, you're 15 minutes into your story, and you haven't even gotten to your fifth birthday yet. And they're like, oh, my God, how old is this guy? You know, they're, they're doing the math. They want... That kind of story, a short story, and you owe it to them to take a few minutes and gather your thoughts together and, and plan out your story in two to three minutes, not two to three hours, what God has done in your life. The truth is every one of us have dozens of stories like that, or hundreds maybe you have. The thing that God's done in your life to make a difference, that's the word. Friends don't keep their stories. Friends don't keep good news from other friends. You tell them the good news. Now, here's an action step that will help you with this because you're not in this alone. It's a simple action step. Write out your story and then share it with your small group. They already love you. They know you're weird and they still like you. Okay? So you, you write out your story and you tell them in two minutes, hey, here's something that God's done in my life to make a difference. So I want all of our small groups this week, somebody to start it off and say, who's going to tell their story next week? And we'll help you. Well, you could tell about such and such. You could tell about that answer prayer. You can tell how God's made a difference in so-and-so. And you could share your story. And you start, let's get two people to share in each group every week for the next, for the next five or six weeks. Start with your group. And just take two or three minutes to do that. Psalm 66, 16 says, listen. And I'll tell you what God has done for me. So there's a fifth way. The fifth thing that we've got to do to help other people experience God's love. The N stands for nurture relation, nurture friendships. Just build a friendship with them. Build a bridge between your heart and their heart. 
and let Jesus walk across. Now, this step takes a little more time, doesn't it? It takes more investment. It takes more love. You don't just do this overnight. If I say to you, I want you to have a deep, close friendship with somebody. Pick out a stranger on Monday, and by next Sunday, I want you to be bosom buddies for the rest of life. You can't do it that fast. The Bible says be friendly with everybody. Don't be proud and feel. This is Romans 12, 16. Be friendly with everybody. Don't be proud and feel that you are smarter than others. Make friends with ordinary people. As I said earlier, very few people have it, have even one very close friend. Everybody's looking for a true friend. I'm not talking about Facebook friends, Instagram followers. I'm not talking about acquaintances. Everybody needs somebody who says, you know, I'm going to be with you through the thick and thin. How do you, how do, you do that? Who are the people? i got some good news for you. Who are the people that, you have, that God wants you to build a strong nurture of friendship with? i got news for you. They're not strangers. They're already in your life. How do you know that, Jerry? Because God's put them in your life. And God's put you in their life. They're the people that you already work with. They're the people you already go to school with. They're the people that are already in your family. Haven't you ever wondered about all that? You look around the Thanksgiving table and you're like, how in the, why are some of these people in my family? Be honest. You, you thought that. They thought it about you, right? Why are, why are these people in my family? I'll tell you why. Because God put you there. And God put them in your life. You know, why, why are these people in my neighborhood? These are the people in your neighborhood. They're in your neighborhood because God put you there, and God brought them, and they, he put them there. Why are these people in my company? Where are these people on my bowling team? Whatever it is you do, you have all these groups of people in your life. Don't you think God's up to something? You don't have to go meet a stranger and build a, a friendship, nurture a friendship with a stranger. You have plenty of them in your life already. And you don't have to have a hundred, but you need to find one that doesn't know God and decide, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest and I'm going to invite. I'm going to invest and I'm going to invite with someone that I already work with, that's already in my family, that's already in my extended family, that's already on my block, that's already, that I already play pickleball with or whatever you do, and say, you know what, I'm going to go deeper with these people because I want to love them into God's family. Any of us can do this. You represent God to them. It's, it's been said, if you grew up in church, you heard this all the time, and say, they used to say, tell us, you're the only Bible some people love or read. And I used to think, what does that mean? Said, well, they don't know any Bible. You've got to live it in front of them. You're the only Bible some people ever read. And I feel like, well, what version am I? You know, Some of us are like the reviled substandard perversion. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be the only Bible people read kind of a thing. But you represent Jesus Christ to them. One of the best ways to build a friendship, and by the way, this is a biblical method. One of the best ways to build a friendship with people is to throw a party, is to have a party. Biblical, totally biblical. Do you realize how much of Jesus' ministry was centered around parties? You read the Gospels, you read his life. Jesus was always going to a party, a wedding, a feast, you know, an event. 
It's why we're the party church. Some kids are like, I want to go back to the party church. And some of you are like, oh, no, no, we're serious. We're not. We, we're, we love being the party church. We do these big events. We do Easter egg hunts with hundreds of kids. We do trunk or treat. We do this Christmas village. 500 to 1,000 people come. We do this gigantic vacation Bible school party at the end of, the, at the end of VBS. You know, we want to celebrate and have fun, and we want people to come in and go, oh, my gosh, those, those people are just regular people. They, they didn't, like, pin me down and try to, you know, beat the devil out of me or anything. It's like, exactly. Now, if that's not what you're looking for, you're not, you're, you, no, I'm looking for a boring, serious church. You know, come see me. i got a whole list. It's going to probably take you 50, 50 weeks to visit them all, okay? But one of the strategies, you see, we, let me read you the verse, first of all, because some of you are wondering if this is really biblical. Um, Jesus even taught his disciples, one of his 12, Matthew, who was called Levi, in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, says, in his home, Levi, also called Matthew, gave a big dinner party for Jesus, and many fellow tax collectors and other guests were also here. Now, no, why does it say many tax collectors? Because that's what Matthew was. That's what he did professionally. He was a tax collector. He, like, worked for the IRS. And Matthew calls all of his friends at the, the boring IRS office and says, Hey, y'all, I'm having a party at my house. They're all like, What's a party? He's like, You've got to come over. We're going to have food. We're going to have fun. You know, and, I'm, and then he introduced him to his friend Jesus. Now, when we read that in the, in the Gospel of Luke, we look at that as a story, and what we should be seeing that, not just a story that happened, it, we should see that as a strategy that needs to be implemented. And you need to have whatever boring people you have at your office over and make it fun. And over time, introduce them to your best friend, Jesus. And that could be in a barbecue. And that could mean a dinner at your house. And that can mean, you know what, we're going out to dinner. Why don't you come out with us on, on Friday night? We want to buy you dinner. And they're going to be, you want to buy us dinner? Are you like trying to sell me some kind of multi-level network thing? We, what you no, man, we just want to get to know you. And, and eventually introduce you to our, friend, to our friend Jesus. God says, I want you to reach out to people who are far from me and nurture a friendship with them. See, here's the problem. Christians, a lot of Christians, tend to fall into one of two extremes. They either fall into imitation or isolation. Isolation or imitation. On the one hand, some Christians become isolationists. They're like, well, we don't want to be polluted by the world. I don't want to get dirtied by the world or all those people. I don't want to have my life messed up, so I'm just going to isolate myself. We're going to create our own little culture over here, just us four and no more, and we're going to have only Christian friends, and we're going to have only Christian people that speak Christianese, and, and we're, only going to have, we're only going to have dinner or have people over that are all believers. And we create our own culture. We're not going to let anybody from the world to get in because we don't want to be dirtied by all those people. Let me tell you something. Those people are the people Jesus died for. Those people. Isolation doesn't work where you build your own little culture and you try to stay away from the world. How are you going to build friendships that way? How are you going to accomplish the purpose of having a mission? One of the five basic purposes that God created you for. So that's wrong. The other extreme is just as wrong. It's the extreme that says, well, it's imitation. Well, we'll just be just like the world. You know, we'll have the same values, the same goals will be no different from the world. That's not what God wants. 
Were you just given to the lowest common denominators of society? That's not it either. It's not isolation. Let's just stay away from everybody who's not a believer. It's not imitation. Let's just act like everybody who's not a believer. So the answer is not isolation or imitation. What is the answer? The answer is insulation. It's actually infiltration and insulation. So what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says you're supposed to be salt and light in the world. He doesn't say you're supposed to be salt and light out of the world. No, we're supposed to be salt and light in the world. Infiltrate. You penetrate the world with God's love and God's goodness. Let me give you an example. How do you do that? How do you go out into the world to and not be, how do you infiltrate the world and impact the world and not be changed by the world? Well, the best examples I have is from nature. Use your imagination. Let, let's say I go to a seafood restaurant. I know none of you can even think that I would do that. I go to a seafood restaurant and I order sea bass. Anybody ever have sea bass at a seafood restaurant? And they bring me out a piece of sea bass, and first thing I do is I go have salt to put on the, the fish they've put in front of me. Now think about that, okay? Because this fish lives its entire life in salt water. He lives his whole life in salt water, yet they cook the fish and bring it to me. And the first thing i got to do is i got to salt the fish. Why is it? Because it's insulated. It lives in salt water, doesn't ever allow the salt to penetrate. If God, what's going on here? <clears throat> the fish is insulated. If God can take a fish and keep it in brine, keep it in salt water its whole life, and it not be, be polluted with salt, then God can certainly take you, put you in the world, a believer in the world, and keep us from being polluted or corrupted by the world's wrong values. Does that make sense? You're to be in the world, but you're not supposed to be of the world. And God's got to do that. First Timothy 1.7, the Holy Spirit does not want you to be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of those people. The Holy Spirit does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and to be strong. And what does it say? And love them. And enjoy being with them. Put the word party by that. So you nurture friendships. You invite them over. You do a barbecue. Sixth thing, sixth way to help your friends come to know Christ. E is expect God to act. Expect God. Now, there's some mystery in some of this, this whole expect God to act thing. I wish I could tell you how this all works. I wish I could tell you how you, well, I'm just telling you it does when you expect God. To act. I don't know if you realize this, but God works in people's hearts when we expect him to. And when we expect him to work, the more and more we expect it, the more and more he works. The Bible says, often, Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. And you read those things and you realize, you think, well, isn't God going to do what he's going to do? Yes. Isn't God going to accomplish his purpose? Yes. But he chooses to do it through us, so then we have to cooperate. Won't he do it without us if we don't cooperate? Mm, probably. Yes. But he chooses to do it with us, and we have to choose to cooperate. Does it make us cooperate? So there's a mystery here. One of the greatest pastors of the 19th century was a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was in London. He pastored the biggest church in the world at the time. 
He spoke to tens of thousands of people at once. And people came, many, many, many people came to know Christ through his, through his life, through his ministry. One day, famous story, Spurgeon tells. One day, a guy comes up to him and says, Dr. Spurgeon, I don't understand it. Whenever you talk to people about the Lord, they always tend to open up their lives. They tend to accept Christ. But when I talk to people about the Lord, they don't, they're not interested. What's wrong? And Spurgeon is famous for saying, young man, you don't expect people to come to Jesus Christ every time you talk to them about him, do you? He's like, oh, no, no, I, of course not. Spurgeon says, well, that's your problem. If you don't expect, then they're not going to respond. Now, like I said, I don't know how this works. I really don't, but I do know this. God has a will for your life. And as we talked about the devil, he's got a plan for your life too. And your whole life, you have, you have free will. You, you get to choose to participate with God's plan or to choose the devil's plan or to choose your own plan. That's what most people say. Well, I don't know about the devil's plan, but I, I want my way. And if you're, not, if you're not choosing God, if you're choosing my way, you're not choosing God's way. So I don't know what way you think that is, but that's not God's way. You're heading in the wrong direction. Now, I don't know how it works, but everybody has this. But here's what I know. When I pray for people and when I expect God to work in their lives, somehow it makes it easier for them to choose God's way and choose the right direction. God will never force anyone to choose him. But when we pray and we expect God to work in people's lives, somehow it seems it's easier for them to choose him and to move in his direction. Very few people come to Jesus Christ the first time they hear the good news. They have to think about it. I don't expect you to walk in off the street, never having ever heard of me before, sit here, and in 20 minutes you're convinced, oh, yeah, everything he says is true, and I'm going to give my life to Christ. God can do that. But I don't expect that. In fact, what we say to people, that's why we never put pressure on people. That's why we never um, pressure someone or push anybody. We always say you need to take the time to make the right decision. And I honestly believe if someone, if someone will investigate the claims of Christ and they're intellectually honest, that God will move them to a point where they make that right decision over time. They consider all the facts. So we say take the time to make the right decision and consider it. Here's the point. The point is we're to never give up on anybody. That person you've been, some of you, you've been praying for someone, you've, you're discouraged. You feel like it's hopeless. You feel like even in the middle of a pandemic, everything's gone wrong in their life. They still haven't moved back towards God. They still haven't. There's no, there's no evidence that God's at work in their life. And you've been praying and you've been praying. Look what this verse says, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Some of you, you've been praying for your boyfriend to, to come to Christ for a long, long time. You've been praying for your girlfriend to come to Christ for a long, long time. Become a believer. Or you've been praying for your husband. Or you've been praying for your, your, your wife. Or you've been praying for your children. You've got a prodigal son. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying. Or you've been praying for a relative or a close worker or a close friend. And you don't see any evidence. You've been praying for two years. And, you, and you're discouraged. And they're not any closer. And you don't see any di difference. So what do you do? You need to keep praying in faith or start praying in faith. And you need to get other people to pray with you. You need your whole small group praying. And you need to keep praying. 
God, I don't see you working at all, but I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't see any evidence in their life that they're paying any attention to you. But I'm going to continue to pray and expect you to work. And let me tell you something. Some people, you've got to pray a long time. Never underestimate the power of prayer and the power of consistent, persistent prayer. My mom prayed for her grandmother. I called her Granny. For 15 years, y'all. She prayed for my granny for 15 years. Now, my granny didn't know the Lord, didn't ever go to church. She was almost blind with cataracts. She, she couldn't even read the Bible if you sent her a Bible verse. So my mom wrote out everything in longhand and had my aunt, her granny's daughter, my mom's great aunt, Margie, read it all. And she accepted Jesus into her life when she was 84 years old, almost on her deathbed. And my mom prayed for 15 years every day. I mean, if you got friends, you got a prodigal son, you can get my mom praying. Okay? Now, I'm the pastor in the family. How long do you think I prayed for my great-grandmother and my granny? 15 minutes? Not 15 years. I bet I didn't pray 15 weeks. Some people, you got to pray a long time. Don't give up. Don't underestimate the prayers of a grandmother, the prayers of a, of, a, of a mom or a dad, you keep praying and don't give up. And if you're tired, you tell your small group, I'm tired of praying for my kid. I'm tired of praying for, for my granny. I'm tired of praying for, for my boss. I'm, but I need you all to help me pray. And we'll help you. Your small group will help. Again, I don't know how it works, but sometimes you've got to believe. You can't make the decision for your kids, but you can believe for them. What do I mean by that? Because that sounds so weird. And I don't know exactly how this works, but you remember the story in the Bible where the four guys take, they have a, they have a friend who's sick, he's lame, he can't walk, he hasn't worked, walked his whole life, and they say, you know what, Jesus is in town, we're taking you to Jesus. And they put him on a mat and they carry him to Jesus and they get there late. And it's like gridlock. It's like they're turning people away. It's like us at a truck or treat or an egg hunt. You know, we're, we're, we got a cop car out there saying, so sorry, our parking lot's completely full. The fire marshal has closed us down. We can't have anybody else. And these guys are like, I don't care what the fire marshal says. Let's get up on that roof. And you know the story. They, they bust through the roof, and they lower their friend down right on at Jesus' feet. And the story goes, Jesus, in fact, let me just read you the verse. Luke chapter 5, verse 20, you should read the whole story. They believed that Jesus could heal him. They put him on a mat, they take him to Jesus, they lower him down, and it says, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Not the guy on the mat. Their faith, the guys on the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven, and he heals him, and he walks away. He healed this guy on the basis of his friend's faith, not on the basis of the faith of the one who couldn't walk. The guy who was sick doesn't necessarily have any faith that we know about that Jesus spoke about, but his friends, Jesus looks up at those four guys and says, because of your faith, you, you really believe, you believe so much, you buck the fire, the fire guy, you, you're lowering him down, you really believe that I would do this, I'm doing this for you. And you read that and you say, so what, what does that mean? That means you don't give up on your friends who are stuck on their mat. You get them to Jesus and you 
believe for them. Now, I'm not saying you can make that decision for them. I'm just saying this is the example we have. And let me just, by the way, let you know a little secret. It doesn't take a lot of faith. Those guys didn't have, it didn't say they had a lot of faith. They had a lot of creativity and a lot of ingenuity, didn't they? They got them through the roof. It just takes a little faith. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's what you put your faith in. It's the size of your God that matters. You can have little faith in a big, big God, and you get big, big results. You say, God, I believe you're going to work in my friend's life. I believe you're going to work in my, in my daughter's life. I believe you're going to work in my, my brother. I believe you're going to work in their life, and I'm going to keep trying to build a relationship so I can bring them to you. Keep on believing. All right, the last one is, is R. I've got to represent Christ with my life. Will you fill that in? Let me finish this up real quick. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Circle representative. Whatever you do, whatever you say, you're his representative. This means we need audiovisual Christians. We need Christians who walk the walk and talk the talk, who talk the talk and walk the walk. Both are important. They live it and they share it. They're not only, I am the only Bible that someone will read, but then they tell them the good news. It takes both. You need to share. You need to live it with your life and share it with your mouth. The Bible is very specific about this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Do all you can to live a peaceful life. Take care of your own business. Do your own work. And if you do, people who are not believers will respect you. The non-believers around you are watching you. You represent Christ with your life. Now, uh, God has specifically put people into your life for you to be his representative. If not you, who? Why would he put them in your family? Why would he put, you, put them in your company? Why would he put them on your team? Why would he put them next door to you? He put them so that you can share the good news. How will they know? Your friends who need the Lord, your friends and family who need to have you know the good news so they can spend eternity in heaven, God is not going to write it in the sky with his finger. He's not going to do that. God's not going to send them a text message on their phone. I mean, think about it. You get such erroneous texts anyway. If you got one from God, you'd be thinking, this isn't God. This is a scam. You know? There's an auto warranty at the end of this. You know, you're like, uh, hey, I'm God. I've been trying to connect, reach you about your auto warranty. Yeah. God's not going to text anybody. He's not going to text. He's not going to put it on TV. He's not going to write it in the clouds. Why? Because his plan is you. You're his representative in that, in that family, in that company, in that neighborhood, on that bowling team, on that pickleball court. You're his representative. He doesn't need to text anyone. You've heard me say it before. The most dangerous prayer you can pray is two words. The prayer is, use me. I dare you to pray it. So you say, well, God never answers my prayers. Pray that one. Hmm. He'll answer it. I dare you to pray for the next 40 days every day. Use me, God. Use me to show your love to people who don't know you. Use me to show your purpose to people who don't know they have a purpose. 
that you have a purpose for their lives. Pray that every day. God, use me, the people around me, to share your good news. Why don't we pray and ask him to help us right now. Father, you've given us a mission in the world to share your good news and your love with other people. Thank you that we don't have to do it alone. Thank you that right now, as as we share with people in our lives, you're going to give us the words. And you're going to give us your love for other people. God, I pray that you would raise up an army within our church who would love people to Christ. We have 50 high schoolers, Lord. Help them to love their friends. This room will hold 100. It scares me to death to pray that. Raise up the adults who will help us disciple the high schoolers that our kids are going to bring and love to Christ. And I pray you'll use all of us. Now, why don't you pray? Say, dear God, just in your own mind, right where you're at, you don't say it out loud, just think it. Dear God, I realize that you've put specific people in my life because you want me to share your love with them. All of us can pray that. God, I realize you've put specific people in my life because you want me to share your love with them. Today, I accept my mission. Will you pray that? Today, I accept my mission. I understand the assignment. I want you to use me. Help me to be concerned about the people around me that don't know you. Help me to take these seven steps of partnering with my small group. That I realize that they're not going to know unless we show them. Help me to remember that nobody's hopeless. And nobody is beyond the reach of your love. And that people who I think that are beyond your reach, your love can still go farther than that to reach them. So in faith, I ask you to use me and help me to love my friends, my family, my coworkers, those people. Help me to love them to you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.